You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church of Savannah. This is a sermon from our series, A Better Way. If you would like to find out more information about our church, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Last summer, I got the privilege of taking my son. My daughter was off at a volleyball camp, and so me and my son just got to chill in Chicago. And so we did all the cool things you do when you go to Chicago. You eat good, thick pizza. We went to a Cubs game, not a Cubs fan. Rooted for the Cubs first time in my life. I rooted for someone else besides the Phillies, right? I was, you know, they were playing the Brewers, so I was neutral, kind of. Uh, but got to do all these cool things. And the first day there, we ride the train in, and there's what used to be called in the 80s, when Pluto was still a planet, the Sears Tower. Okay, now it's the Willis Tower because no one goes to Sears anymore, apparently. Uh, so there's no more Sears. But now, so now it's called the Willis Tower. And so we're walking by this thing, and I'm like, we got to go up this thing, right? Everyone says you need to do the Willis Tower. It's 9 a.m. It looks like there's not a lot of people there. Let's try this. Let's try this. Sam, let's do this, and then we'll go down and do all the other stuff. He's like, okay, cool. So we go in the, the lobby, and I'm like, oh, this is easy. Look, there's like a little line to go into this elevator. It's kind of simple. I'm thinking, oh, no problem, man. We'll just get up and get up there and kind of look around, be, you know, cool. So we get in this elevator, and, and I knew we were in trouble because the elevator started going down. I'm like, wait, that's kind of weird. And it run, only went down like eight feet. And then it opens up, and then there's this whole underground deal, right? And so, and, and so there's this line. I'm like, oh, that must be the line to get to the other elevator. It goes up. So I get in this line. Now, that was just the line to go through security. And then so, and I get through security. Okay, okay, I'm not, no, I'm not a dangerous guy. We're, you know, from the south. We're fine. Um, so we go to, and then there's another line. Okay, I'm like, okay, this must be the line to get up to the top. No, this is the line to buy tickets. Another 30 minutes, right? Okay, okay, got my tickets. Okay, I spent like $3,000 to go to the top of this building now. Okay, but I did get tickets to the art museum, which we went later and looked at every picture that Ferris Bueller had in his movie. That's a side story, okay? That's the only thing we looked at. But anyway, so then we, okay, so now we're in the line to get to the elevator, and this thing's winding in and out, and we're in this one room. And, th- and then I find out that this is the line that goes to the movie theater. Because you got to watch this like eight minute movie about how they made the Sears slash Willis Tower, right? And then finally we get out of the movie and then there's a little line and it's like, you know, another 15 minutes. Then there's the magic elevators, like the Willy Wonka elevator, right? So there's two of them. So we get in this thing, they cram you in and there's and you go up and then you get to the top. It's real exciting. It's just as high as the plane that we flew in on. I'm like, yeah, it looks like it did when we flew in. Okay, good. I'm at the top. Spent all this time. And I'm like, okay, we walk, there's a cool thing where you walk on the glass and you're looking down, you're like, oh, that's kind of fun, right? And then we're like, okay, let's go, let's go see Ferris Bueller pictures. Then there's another line to get down the elevator, right? And so you spend another 30 minutes trying to get out of the Willis Tower. And all said and done, $3,000 and about three hours later, we got to the top of the Willis Tower. And, and the point of that is, is when, when we started that process, it, thought like, it felt like it was a real like, easy deal. It felt like it was like, ah, oh, this is simple. And the, the further in we got, the more kind of complex it got. It wasn't what was expected on the surface, right? And the topic we're going to talk about for the next six or seven weeks is, is like that. And the church has treated it like, oh, it's no big deal. We're just going to go in the lobby and shoot up. But really, it's, it's multi-layered and it's a lot deeper and more complex and, and more powerful than the church has treated it. And so we're going to spend the next seven weeks talking um, about a challenging subject, I think, for some of us. Um, if you're new to our church, to CBC, what we typically do is we'll work through books of the Bible or, or large passages of Scripture. 
And if you're new to the Bible, there's, there's the Old and New Testaments. There's 66 books in these Old and New Testaments. And the books are all different, different genres and they have different historical backgrounds. You got different guys writing them. You got some poetry and some history and you got letters and you got all sorts of wisdom literature and apocalyptic stuff. And so what we usually do is we kind of start at the beginning of one and work through one. Um, but once in a while, there's such a significant kind of topic or need in our body, or just in the church as a whole, that you need to address, that you need to dig a little bit deeper on. Uh, and we do this maybe once every year, or once every other year. Um, and, and that's what we're going to do, uh, because I think this topic for us is significant. I think the world <laughs> is consumed with it, um, and I think the people of God need to be equipped to, to deal with it. Um, and so we're going to spend the next six or seven weeks really framing and developing a biblical worldview when it comes to just biblical sexuality. Um, so we kind of opened that package last week, let you guys know. The squirming kind of starts since I say it, if you weren't here last week, and that's okay. Um, we did say that this is going to kind of be a PG, PG-13 series. So we have kids' classes. If you're like, what? I don't know where Bill's going with this. You know, I don't know. I promise I'm not going to go anywhere the Bible doesn't go. But if you're like, I got a fourth grader, I'm not really ready, then I promise you my fourth grader will not be in the room. Just because uh, I just don't feel like he's ready there. But if you're high school, I mean, trust me, your high schoolers, if they use like, oh, my high schooler doesn't know anything. And you know nothing too, okay? <laughs> so I'm uh, just, all right, so you just need to be aware. I, I, we just want to equip the church, right, to deal with these things. Because they're, it's, it's, it's consumed with it, right? Go to Amazon and type in dating. I did it. There's like 100,000 books on dating. The top one, by the way, I wrote it down, was how to find nice guys and get a great husband. Tips for fit from 50 clever women, all right? So number two was the dating playbook for men. Seven proven steps to go, for, go, to go single, get single women of your, single woman of your dreams. All right, so there you go, okay? Type in marriage, 100,000 plus books. Type in sexuality, thousands and thousands. I mean, it is a topic that the world is consumed with, yet it's hugely dysfunctional. Right? And the heart behind the series is this, we do a lot of counseling and shepherding around relationships and intimacy and, and all this stuff. And so we want to just be able to speak clearly on these things as a church. Uh, how do we approach it? Because it is a complex, important, and powerful issue. And the heart of this series, if you're looking for me to get up here and just bash, yeah, the world's bad, woo, bad world, this is not your series. I don't, you, you don't need me to tell you that the culture is broken. We're not going to hammer the culture. That's not the heart of this. And it's also not the heart of, you know, seven steps to whatever. Because it's a much more deep and complex, just like the elevators issue, that there's no seven steps to glory. Right? But what there is, is I think a better way. And that's why we, we've kind of named this series a better way. And that better way is God's way. That he has said to us in Romans 12, that we are not to be conformed to this world, right? But we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, that we may know what the, know what the will of God, God is, good, acceptable, and perfect. And so that in this area, God is after transformation. He is after you knowing his will, what is good. And what is sad to me and this is where I've been in my life. So but what's sad is whenever we even allude to this topic or even bring it up in the church, the, one of the first things we do is we go to guilt because of the failures of the past or because of whatever, right? And y'all, that is not what your Savior wants. He doesn't want you to go to guilt 
right? That is, a, that is what the enemy wants you to just dwell in and be in this pit of look what you did, look what you've done. The story of scripture is the story of God redeeming and reconciling that which was broken and bringing restoration. That is what Christ has done, right? And that includes relationships and intimacy and sexuality and all those challenges. Now, are we going to be swimming upstream? Is there going to be some challenges for some of you? Yes. But those are the things that, that we do together in community. Those are the things that God wants and He's after in our lives. And so we're going to look at different passages over the next couple of weeks, uh, some that you may be familiar with, some that you may not be. Uh, but uh, we're just praying that God will speak through His Word. And here's kind of two rationales. Let me give you two rationales why this topic of all. Because you could have done like, couldn't you have done like love or something like that, Bill? You know, really? Here's why. Number one, because the church has had no voice in this topic for 100 years. Right? We, we haven't said anything, All, whether it's because it's awkward or we don't talk about that in church. Let me, let me, let me kind of go to the other side. I think it's the one place we should be talking about. It shouldn't be on the back of the, the high school baseball team bus, but it should be in church because we're the ones that know what God has said, right? And so... The church is all frustrated and mad because what is the culture doing? And Miley Cyrus has lost her mind. And, oh, yeah. and we're so mad. And then all we do is yell and get mad. And then, and then no one wants to listen to us because we just look like angry eyebrow dude. But that's because the church hasn't said anything for a hundred years. They kept their mouth shut and now they have no voice. They have no voice. And so what I would love us to do is to just get some clarity on some of these issues so we're not just reactionary, just not just like, well, it should have been like back in the days of leave it to beaver. That's the way it should be. Traditional family values. If your go-to is traditional family values, you're losing, right? We're not talking about getting back to the 50s or being leave it to beaver. Some of you don't even know what leave it to beaver is. Go watch Nickelodeon old or something. I don't know, T TMC or whatever. Um, but we have to have something more compelling than that. Because, because the issue of sexuality and sex is one of the most, if not the most, accessible idols of our culture. I mean, you have the, the, the pornography of the world at your fingertips, in your hands, in your phone. And it doesn't take anything to escape into that and find a temporary fix for an, it, which, to fill an emptiness. Or, or ladies, you can, you can dress in a certain way or act in a certain way so that you get attention and that feels powerful, powerful for a moment. But, but it's, a, it's a temporary deal. And so it's a huge issue that we're seeing. And we have to go to something deeper and more significant and have a voice better than family values, right? Uh, we have to ha have something that people can hear that makes sense. So we want to have a voice. And number two, this is not just uh, we want to have a voice. Is we believe this is a discipleship issue. Right? This is a discipleship, this is a follower of Jesus issue, right? When you say, I am a follower of Jesus, you don't get to like pick and choose which areas. Okay, I got, my, I got my church life, and then I got my work, and then I got my girlfriend life, and I got my hobby life, and I got my football life. You know, you don't get to dichotomize that deal, right? You put it all under. If you go, some of you have played Division I athlete, athletics. If you go, you're like, I'm going to go play for Georgia. And you go to Kirby and say, okay, Kirby, I'll be there on Saturday between 3 and 6. And then, you know, I'll, and, I'll, and I'll show up, you know, for practice, uh, you know, every day. Uh, but everything else is on me. I can tell you, Kirby's going to be like, you're not coming here. Because they own you. They tell you where to go to class. They tell you when to study. They tell you when to eat. They tell you when to go in the weight room. They own you. They pay for your school. You are theirs 24-7. When you follow Jesus, you don't get to say, oh, Kirby, I'll be there for three to six. You don't get to say, okay, I'll, I don't touch this area of my life. And this is a huge, significant part of who we are as people. He created us male and female. 
right? There, there's that, that is inherently a, a, a sexual statement. We are male or female, right? And it's, it's part of who you are and it's part of who your identity. And when you connect that even deeper to the part about we're being in Christ, there's significance there that we need to talk through, okay? So those are kind of the two big ideas. We want to have a voice and we think it's a follower issue and we want to equip you to follow. And what I want to do today is just kind of give you three overarching principles that are going to kind of drive this series. We're going to talk about stuff like, we're going to talk to you singles. One, we're going to give you singles and, and, and dating just a whole, a whole hour on a Sunday and talk about that a little bit. We're going to talk about um, parents and what do we, how do we, what do we do with kids? What, what does this look like? Uh, how do we kind of raise kids in this culture and some, some ideas and principles there? We'll talk, uh, how, do we, how, how do we experience healing? Because there's, there's folks in this room who have been abused, there's folks that have, have, are struggling. There's the gamut in this room. How do, we, how do we recover from that? Spend a week talking about that. We'll talk about marriage one week. We'll talk about next week kind of integrity in this. And, um, and t- so today I just want to give some principles that kind of guide us through all the deal the whole time, all right? And these are important because these, we'll come back to these. Because we're going to be swimming upstream, y'all. We're going to be going against culture a little bit. And some of you are going to be like, that's a little bit, I don't know. Right? So we've got to come back to these. And so here's the first one, right? And this is maybe the, maybe the most important one, is that God is good. First principle. Um, it is impossible for God not to be good. He is good. Everything he has done is good. And the scripture is filled. It's just filled with announcing the goodness of God. I'm going to put a couple of these on the screen. I want us to read them because I want us to remind ourselves. I want us to out loud remind ourselves about God's goodness. So just read these with me. Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes his refuge in him. Psalm 105. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness to all generations. Y'all are like monotone. Right. You can actually be loud if you want, right? Psalm 135, verse 3. Say it like you believe it. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing to his name, for it is pleasant. Psalm 119, 68. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. Psalm 106, 1. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. One more. Testament. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. The the message that's constantly announced through Scripture is that God is good. Even Jesus, when he's asked, he said, good teacher, what's the best this? What's this? Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good but God. Right? He, he, he affirms the goodness of God. He says later, he says, if you being wicked know how to give your kids good gifts, how much more your father in heaven is he good and he gives good things? God is good. It's important to start there because one of the biggest attacks the enemy will say to you is God is not good. If God was good, he would do X. Right? And so we start good, that God is good, and then the second one kind of builds on, the second principle, is that God is good, and then God's design is good. God's design is good. So Genesis 1, the creation of everything, 
God creates the heaven and the earth. And then after every day, you know, God creates the light and he creates the darkness. And what does it say after every day? God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good. After day six, when he makes Adam and Eve, male and female, God saw that it was good. At the end of the chapter, God saw everything he made and behold, it was not just good, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. His design is good. In fact, 1 Timothy says, everything created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. So from the very beginning, we see that God is good. His design is good. And the very first words of Scripture are are good news because it it just kind of opens our eyes to the goodness of God. He is good. He is good. He is good. And that includes the crown of His creation, those who have been made in His image, male and female. Good. So you remember Genesis chapter 2 is kind of a recap of day 6, right? Chapter 1 is kind of a summary. Chapter 2 is a recap of day 6. And so God kind of scoops up some dirt, makes himself a man, right? Forms a man. And, And he puts testosterone in that man on purpose. It's part of his design so that he will go out into the fields and that he will, he will exercise dominion and he will name the animals and do all these things. That was good. He was manly, right? He was masculine. That's what he was. That was the creation, right? And then he says it's not good for a man to be alone. I, he, he's the only one that doesn't have a suitable helper, right? And so what does he do? He knocks out Adam. Genesis 2, the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he takes one of the ribs, closed it up in his place, and the rib the Lord got it taken from the man he made into the woman and brought him to her, right? So he knocks him out, he pulls out a rib, he forms the woman. She is different. She doesn't, he doesn't throw a bunch of testosterone in her. He throws a bunch of estrogen in her, and that is good, right? It's how she was designed. Her body shape is different. She's similar, but she is different, Male and female. Jesus says, did you not know from the beginning they were male and female? That is on purpose. And it's still before the fall. It is good. Right? It is good. And then Adam wakes up. He wakes up after his little nap. And it's so interesting because if you, if you have your Bible in Genesis 2, you know, and, and ES, ESV or NIV, the typeset changes in verse 23. I don't know if you ever noticed that. It kind of goes like, why do they have all these spaces? It's because it's poetic. And so in Genesis 1 and 2 up to this point, it's just kind of been narrative. It's just kind of in paragraph form. It's just normal listing it out. He's naming ostrich and hippopotamus and alligator and all these things, right? And then he, God brings the, the woman to him and it gets, what he immediately goes into poetry. Adam sings the first song, right? The man said, this is at last, at last. It's, it's the, the translation could be finally it's only been like three hours. <laughs> okay. okay, three hours, old boy's been alone, right? But he says, finally. This is at last bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. She was taken out of man. She shall be called the Hebrew Isha because she was taken out of man, Ish. And there's a little play on words here. The idea is out of me or she shall be mine, right? That's the idea there. It, it kind of, I think, is a foretaste, as, as some have written, to uh, the, the Song of Solomon, that I am my beloved's, and he is mine. That's the idea of what's going on here. So he's been naming animals, he's naming all these things, all of a sudden he sees the woman, he goes all poetic, 
right? And she, he names, she's taken, called woman. And then and in that famous verse, it's throughout the scripture, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, cleave, the old King James says, or cling. And they shall become what? One flesh. That is physical, right? There's a, there's a physical union. There is a spiritual union. Understand. And this is all pre-Genesis 3 fall. It is good, the physical relationship between husband and wife created by God. And it's good. It's not, God's not like, what is happening? <laughs> no, what are you doing? Oh, no. <laughs> no, he is saying, be fruitful, multiply, enjoy. It is good. The physical relationship between man and woman, it is good. Between husband and wife, it is good. It is part of God's goods gift. It's what T- Timothy says is to be enjoyed with thanksgiving. And notice it says they were naked and not ashamed. There's no fear. Right? It, this, I want you to, we have to start here, y'all, because when the church talks about anything related to this, all we ever say is bad, 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 bad. And all of a sudden someone comes down here, we do a 20-minute service, and we're like, good. And it's, it's contradicting itself. No, we should be saying good, good, good from the beginning, but we should say good, but there's a design. It's God is good, and God wants to bless you in this. It's created for your joy. It's not just so that there's kids. It's not just for procreation. I'm sorry. It's just not. It's not, that's not, there's a whole book in the Bible, the Song of Solomon, that you can read through. The old, the, the old Roman church was so kind of like offended by it, they said, oh, this is Jesus in his church. It ain't Jesus in his church. It's, it's romantic love expressed in poetry. Solomon and one of his 999 wives. I don't know, whatever. Okay, so that, there's where it falls apart a little bit. But this one's really special. <laughs> but this is his relationship with his wife who he loves and it's a godly expression, right? From the initial attraction to the covenant of marriage to the, to the thrill of the romantic chase, even if it was only like an hour for Adam, till the consummation, it's all part of God's good, joyful blessing to his people. He blesses it. It's good, right? Because God wants to bless his people. I know we hear that. And we're like, oh, you're getting a little prosperity gospel on me. No, it's not. What we're saying is God's better way is a way for us to experience joy and pleasure in a way that glorifies him. And he is all for that. He's all for that. That's why he created it. The problem is not the design. The problem is Genesis 3, is sin. And where does Satan attack first? The goodness of God. If God was good, he would let you take this fruit. He's trying to keep things from you. He's trying to hold you back. It's the same lie that Satan's been do- selling since, since the beginning of, of creation, right? That God is not good, that God's design is not good. And so it train wrecks intimacy, relationships, everything. They go from naked and not ashamed, right? And as soon as they eat the fruit, what happens? They're now ashamed and hiding. Not only from each other, they're hiding from God. Right, so no fear, no shame to shame and fear. And this is the pattern, you know, we see in Scripture, that God creates good things, he gives good gifts that are for his people to enjoy and to bring joy and to give him glory. And Satan takes a little bit of twist and he twists it just a little bit and that good thing becomes harmful. 
right? It, it, the thing was made for a blessing, and now it brings harm because we use it outside of the bounds, right? In our house, we have, I've told you before, we can never find a hammer. I have to buy a hammer like every six months. And then I'll be looking, and, and someone will be using the ice cream scoop. For some reason, we don't lose the ice cream scoop. We lose the hammer. And I'm like, you can't use the ice cream scoop on the nail because it slides off, and it just, there's now a brown, you know, circle around the nail, right? It, it, yeah, it works, but that's not the intent. It brings more harm than good. And then you can't get the nail out because you can't, there's no back of the hammer. That's not the intent. Just put the thing back when you're done. That's, that's another story. But so God creates the intent and a design and it is good and it's twisted. And, and Satan does this all the time. He does it with all sorts of things. He does it with food. God creates food. He's for food. He wants you to enjoy food. But then we turn it into gluttony. Right? Uh, wine is a blessing. But it turns into what? Alcoholism. Abuse. God's given us work. It's good. Right? We turn either lazy or overwork. God gives, us, God gives us football. We abuse it and we root for Georgia <laughs> or Alabama, whatever. All right? And so what we want to establish up front is God is good. His design is good. Right? And, and Satan has taken something that is, is meant for joy and meant to nurture intimacy. We'll talk about this in two weeks. Forge a bonding of our souls. Literally, there's a oneness of souls. This is why when we stand down and when we have this wedding, we say the two become one. This is no longer, you're no longer, your closest living relative is no longer your dad. Your closest living relative is no longer your dad. You are now the closest living relatives to each other. Your souls are bonded. This is why divorce is so painful because it's the tearing apart of two souls. And there's something I know supernatural there that I don't completely get this side of heaven, but I know what Scripture is. There's a oneness. And that is, that is fulfilled and pictured in the consummation of, of, of sexual intimacy. Right? And it is a gift meant to nurture and bring even more intimacy and closeness. And it instead divides us. Right? Because we mess with design. And so we're going to talk about, you know, how to... How to nurture some of these things and, and what this looks like, but establishing God is good, God's design is good, and here's the third principle for us. And this is significant for those who say they're followers of Jesus, is that we will embrace then God's authority. If God is good and then God, His design is good, then we are to put ourselves under His authority and what He says about His design. Because that's where the joy will be, that's where the intimacy will be, that's where the blessing will be. All right? God wants what is best for us, and He has not left us in the dark. He has spoken very clearly in multiple places. We're going to look, as we close this, in 1 Thessalonians 4. We studied this book a couple years back, but if you have a Bible, turn there. I'll have it on the screen. 1 Thessalonians 4. He's going to address this, this very issue, right? And, and He's going to give us very specific instructions. He says this in verse 1 and 2. Finally, brothers. Remember, this is a godly church. The Thessalonian church is a good church, Right? And he's encouraging me. He says, finally, brothers, we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. So he's saying, right up front, he's like, this, this, is, what, this is how you're supposed to walk. It's a metaphor for living your life. Right? Here's, here's the instructions, verse 2, is literally the word for commands. It's a word for military commands. Who gives commands? Someone with authority. 
right? Someone with authority gives command. Says, this, this is how you walk. This is how you uh, auto-please God. Verse 3, this is the will of God. And some of you are like always praying, God, show me your will. Show me your will. All you young people. Show me what college to go to. What job should I take? Who should I marry? All these things. Okay, great. But before sometimes we ask, God, show me, reveal maybe me your future will. How are you doing in the things he has revealed? Because if you're asking him to reveal that which is unknown, how are you doing in the thing that is known? Because why should he give you new revelation if you're blowing off old? He says, this is the will of God, right? You want to know God's will for your life? Here it is. Your sanctification. All right, and I know that's kind of for some of you new to the church, that's a big fancy theological word. But if you boil it down to kind of its core meaning, it just means that you are winning the battle against sin in your life. You're winning. The power of sin in your life is, is waning, right? And, and the Spirit of God is winning, and you're growing. That's sanctification. We have justification. Another big, important theological word, We're at justification, you are freed from the penalty of your sin. Jesus, because of his sacrifice, his substitute, his resurrection, justification says you are declared righteous. The penalty of your sin is gone. The wage of your sin, it was death, is now eternal life, right? Because you have the free gift of God. So that's justification. And glorification is in the future that one day Jesus will one day remove the very presence of sin from your life. And you'll have a new body and you won't ever be tempted again. And you'll, have incap- you'll be incapable of sin. That's kind of glorification. But right now, we are experiencing, hopefully, sanctification, winning, winning the battle. He says, this is God's will that you would win. And I know that some of you don't feel like that. Because you feel like God, God's just waiting for you to, to mess up and then he's going to smack you upside your head. Or he's just there to remind you of how when you were 18 you did this. And when you were at Georgia Southern you did this. And he's just there to kind of bring those things up. But this text says, no, God wants you to have victory. So much so that he has put his spirit inside you to give you strength to have victory. That is this God because he is good. Right? And victory specifically in the area of sexual immorality. Or the Greek word porneia. And this is an all-inclusive term. It just, it's not specific, it's generic. It covers everything outside the bond of one man, one woman in covenant relationship. If it's not one man, one woman in covenant relationship, marriage, it's everything else. Right? That's the gamut. Right? That's what that word covers. So he's not just like, oh, we're talking about, you know, dating when you're 12. Or we're talking about this. No, it's everything. Everything that's not husband and wife, one woman, one man. He says, I want you to abstain. I want you to win. Here's how you win. You abstain from that, right? I want you to have victory and pleasure in this area, and I want you to have fulfillment in this area, but I I don't want you to misuse the gift. And anything outside of the way I've designed it is a misuse of the gift. And so he goes on, verse 4 through 7. Each one of you know how to control his own body and holiness. Listen to the language. In honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles, who do not know God, and that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things. And as we told you beforehand and solemnly warn you, for God has not called us for impurity, but for holiness. He says, this, this is who you are. Your identity is holiness. Your identity is Christ. And so now you are to live out that identity. And here's a real interesting idea in 4 through 7. What he is saying is that how you handle this area, this, this most tender and vulnerable and powerful area, tells you what you really believe about God. 
He says, you want to know if you really believe in God? Evaluate this area of your life because it tells volumes of what you believe, if you are a follower or not, right? Because what we say, I know we live in the South, but what we say is not an indicator of what we believe. What we do is an indicator of what we believe because everyone sings the songs and knows the verses and all that, right? We're going to acknowledge. But how you respond to this area of your life is a better indicator of what you believe. He says, if you're, if you're blowing this off, you're acting like the Gentiles who what? They don't know God. So teenagers, college students, singles, marrieds, whatever. If you are blowing off God in this area, you're acting like someone who does not know God. It's not me saying that. That's, 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 that's Paul. And he closes this section saying, whoever disregards this, doesn't disregard man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit. You're not blowing off Bill. You're not even blowing off Paul. When you misuse the gift, when you blow up the design, you are, you are blowing off God Almighty. That's what he's saying. So, that, so we talk about authority, embracing God's authority. We would say that God has a double authority over you because number one, God is your designer. He's the one who made you male or female. He's the one who put that drive in you, attraction in you, all those things. So he's the designer. But not only that, if you're a follower of Jesus, he has redeemed you. So he has bought you out of slavery. So you are doubly his. He has double authority over you, right? And now you are accountable to the one who made me and the one who rescued me, who bought me with a price, right? And, and this is actually, I know this, this it seems a little strong, but this is actually all where you will find freedom. And it's one of those kingdom opposites, right? You want to be the greatest, you got to be the least. You want to live, you got to give your life away. We think, if I want to be happy, I want to be free, i got to do what I want. My life, my body, I'm an American. Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, this makes me happy. We think that will actually make us happy. But actually what Jesus is going to teach is, you want to be joyful and find joy and contentment, you put yourself under me. Doesn't seem like it because it feels like, oh, wait, no, then I have to listen to someone. But Jesus says the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So who are you going to believe, the thief or the Savior? And that's your choice. I can't make it for you. But the idea is you put yourself under him, there's freedom. There's life to the fullest. I actually like uh, the, the NLT here. It kind of summarizes it, the New Living Translation. Thief's purpose is to steal and to kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. One translation says the life beyond comprehension. Right? Good God, good design, good authority. Good authority. And so we want to be a church. This is the, on our specs what a follower looks like. Number one, the S, we put ourselves under the scripture. What does the scripture say? That's what a follower does. My sheep hear my voice. They listen to me. Not going to be perfect. I'm not saying that. But we are putting ourselves under his authority. And so we'll talk the next couple of weeks. We're going to talk about what does it mean to, to control and be in holiness and honor. Right? That, that's where we'll go in the next couple of weeks. We're going to talk to singles. And, and, and look, single, bro, dating is broken in our world. And I'm not saying all go Josh Harris, all kiss dating goodbye. I'll please, please don't hear me saying that. No 18-year-old should write a book on marriage, right? Okay, I'm sorry. All right, so don't read his book and don't follow his model. But there is something broken about the dating culture because we're dating and breaking up like, like marriages. 
And, and breaking up feels like divorcing sometimes. And, and we date like we're married. We live together. We do all these things, right? And so we got to fix that. If you want to fix the marriage culture, you got to fix the dating culture. And so we're going to give some principles, right? Not how to find a wife at CBC. Although some of you men need to get off your butts and find a wife at CBC because there's plenty of, of very godly women that are here, okay? So that's just your challenge. If you need help, come talk to me. I can help you. I'm your pastor, all right? Golly day, y'all. Okay. <laughs> we want to talk to some parents so that you can not, and I, look, and I'm, I'm walking through this right now. I got an 18-year-old, I got a 16-year-old, I got a 13-year-old, I got a 10-year-old. So I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm trying to watch others. And I, and I know what's not going to work is you can't date till you're X age. Once, oh, all of a sudden you blow out some candles and you're now ready? Is that the way it works? Right? Oh, all of a sudden you're 16 and, you, and we're letting our teenagers basically be the functional leaders of our home in this area and just turning them loose. And we're either turning them loose and just like, go, whatever, or we're just giving them a bunch of rules. We don't want to give a bunch of rules, right? We want to give them some principles, three or four principles to guide them in this process. Because guess what? They're going to be 18, they're going to go off to UGA, and they're going to date a knucklehead if you don't. And they might do that anyway. But giving them two or three ideas and things we should be thinking through now that come from Scripture, that can be helpful. If you're struggling from past sin, right? And I know here's the temptation. There's something unique. I mean, all sin is sin. But there's something unique about sexual sin that brings a specific guilt. It's, 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 and some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's challenging. Where you feel like you're the only one in the room. Nobody else in this room struggles like this. No one else in this room has had an abortion. No one else in this room has same-sex attraction. And whatever, go down the line. And let me just encourage you and affirm you, this room has all those things on steroids. On steroids. Affairs, uh, past, premarital sex, whatever it is. You're thinking, man, I need to leave this church. Maybe you should. If you're looking for a bunch of cleaned up people, maybe you should. But this is where, in the midst of brokenness, and sickness is where Jesus is, is at his best. And for some of us, it's going to take, look, it's going to take some time. It's going to take some 12 to 24 months of kind of intensive, like, thinking about this and, and going hard after this and, and, and putting in some work. But what if in 12 to 24 months, your life could be in a significantly different place in this area? It's not going to be a quick fix. But what if it could be different in 24 months? Right? That, that's where we want to be. Um, that's what we want to do. And, and even for married couples, which is a lot of y'all, we want to be able to talk honestly and openly in our relationships with our spouses about this gift that's supposed to bring connection and oneness and instead often brings, brings tension, right? So that's part of that whole idea of each of you know how to control his body and holiness. Got, this is God who, who has called you to holiness, right? That's, that's where we're going over the next couple of weeks. Um, because we just want those people who feel enslaved and feel addicted and feel hopeless and isolated, um, even confused, we want to take them from there to the abundant life, to freedom, right? And if you think, ah, oh, I don't know if that's possible, I can tell you on the authority of Jesus and his word, it is. It is, right? He has done it and he will do it again, right? May not be immediate, 
but there can be healing. And we want to be the kind of people, y'all, so that you have struggled with this, and this was your wrestle, and you had five years of this, and you have this. So, but now, because of Christ and what He has done, you're able to go and move into this area with this group of people that's struggling with the same thing, so that they can feed off of your, your victory, that you can nurture them, you can, you can help them through that battle that they're in. And that's what the church does, right? It, it, it's, and it's all because of the good news of the cross, and we'll keep coming back to this because we need to come back to this, that Christ's cross and tomb speaks to these issues. And he redeems these issues, that his grace and mercy moves towards the broken. He moved towards us, right? He took our sin. He died not as a martyr, as a substitute. He rose as a victor so that you have new life. And now he wants you to walk in this newness, right? He wants you to walk into it. We talked about it last week, walking in a manner worthy. He says it here, that you, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and please God, that we would be walking in a better way. So that's where we're going. Um, week three will probably be if, if the most one that you would say, okay, maybe not the sixth graders. Not, again, I'm not getting any deeper than I am today, but if, just as a heads up, just so you know. Uh, I just don't want to be the one that, you know, introduces something maybe that your kids are like, what did Pastor Bill mean? And you're like, oh, you hate me now. All right, so, so week three will be the week that you kind of just say, hey, well, and maybe we'll do something with the middle schoolers first service too if you're feeling like that uh, so that we can have both services. So we'll talk about that this week. So let me pray. Again, and if, you're, if you need prayer or, or you need to talk to one of our pastors, fill out a card. Drop it in a box, grab, grab one of us and say, hey, I'd like to come and talk to someone. We've got some great guys on staff that are really just good at listening and, and pointing you towards the gospel. And, and we can set an appointment up. If you're a lady, we have ladies that do that. If you're a couple, we can husband and wife together. There's all sorts of avenues. We are here to help you. But we can't help if you're just going to hide in isolation. And so that's why we have the connect cards. You can call the church. You can email the church. I think it's closed off tomorrow, but uh, anytime this week. Uh, we love to, to shepherd you. And if you just need prayer, we'll have some folks in the, in the back hallway after the, just kind of after we sing just to pray with you. Love to do that, all right? Let me pray. Why don't you guys stand and we'll sing. Father, I just pray as we move forward that we would just keep coming back to the fact that you are good, that your design is good, and that your authority is good. Um, I just pray for this room and, and next service, that there will be healing, that there will be encouragement, that there would be restoration, that there would be equipping for our young people, that they would swim against the culture and see that you are good, that they would keep coming back to your goodness, even though everything says that you're not. I just pray for us, for victory in these areas. I pray for maturity in these areas. I pray that we would walk in a manner pleasing of you, Lord Jesus. Uh, and thank you for your purchasing our salvation so that we could. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.